We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome in to Candlestick Chronicles, a 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire podcast network i'm kyle madison i write about the 49ers over at NinersWire.com, part of the us today sports media group joining me shortly is the sacramento bees chris biederman and we're sponsored by cooperage cooperage brewing cooperagebrewing.com that's where you can order beer you order a case online they will just ship it to your front door it's great it's the very best way i've ever bought i've bought beer in a lot of ways in a lot of places there's nothing better than getting that doorbell open the door it's the mailman with a box of beer for you it's the greatest thing and you can order your case right now at cooperagebrewing.com got to be 21 or over and you got to be in the state of california but if you fit that criteria go order a case right now candlestick chronicles our hazy ipa available now or you can go visit the brewery go do that in santa rosa they just redid their bar and tabletops it looks beautiful in there you can take a dog They've got good food. There's always a good food truck. The beer's always good. You can try something other than candlestick. While we love our beer, we highly recommend trying the other stuff. Keg Slayer is one of my faves. Chris, any suggestions? Anything with the name Kurt in it is generally pretty good. <laughs> yeah, That's not even no a bit. I'm, I'm serious. Curdy. Yeah, Steph Curdy, McCurdy Cove, um, Kurt Reynolds, uh, Felt Kurt might delete later. Isn't there a... Uh... A Tiger King one. Yes, I can't um, remember what it's called. Yes, I will look it up. I think it's just called Kurt Pale Ale. They should do know. like a Brock Curdy. Dude, great idea! Hey, <laughs> Charlie, write that down. That's great. Brock Curdy is so good. How have we, <laughs> dude? F and A. Why is that not a thing right now? Yeah, great point. Char- Charlie in a Niners in a Niners. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Charlie, Charlie in a Niners jersey that says 262, though. The Mr. Irrelevant jersey. Ah, uh, okay. There you go. Is that the move? Brock it Curdy. Could it could be. Let's make it happen. It All right. Be. Let's uh we're gonna talk a little bit about the 49ers injury situation heading into the playoffs. We have a playoff game to get ready for. So we're gonna get you ready for that. Niners playoff situation uh injury situation and I have a couple things I want to say just about Brock Purdy in general. And then the ringers, Steven Ruiz is going to join us. Steven Ruiz, one of my favorite people to listen to and, and read uh, about the NFL. He watches everything. He is a 
like Chris and I always joke about like tape grinders. This that's Steven. He watches every game. He watches the all 22 of every game. He does his quarterback rankings. You can find those at qbrankings.theringer.com. You can check those out. He's a really, really smart football mind and really enjoy talking to him. And so we looked ahead to this Niners Seahawks matchup and looked a little bit ahead to the 49ers QB situation in the future. Just a, just a really fun chat. So that's coming up as well. Let's dive in. The, the answer to the, uh, the tiger King Kurt beer is it was a big Kurt rescue, big Kurt rescue. There it is. Like big cat rescue, big Kurt rescue. Cooperagebrewing.com. Let's dive in. Blue wire. Hey, this is George Kittle, and you're listening to Candlestick Chronicles. So the 49ers had to move everything up because their game is Saturday. So Tuesday, when we're recording this, was actually Wednesday for them. So they started practice Tuesday. And their practice participation report couldn't look a lot better if if you're a 49er fan. Nick Bosa didn't practice, but that was not injury-related. He was resting. Jimmy Garoppolo is still out. Amory Thomas is still out. But everybody else practiced at least in a limited fashion. That includes Drake Greenlaw, who missed last week, Aaron Banks, who missed last week, Demetrius Flanagan Fowles, who hurt his neck on Sunday. He practiced. Javon Kinlaw was in there. Christian McCaffrey, who was listed with knee and ankle injuries last week, is now just a knee injury. They've taken the ankle off of there. Debo Samuel, full practice. He's not even on the report. Brock Purdy, no longer on the report. Kevin Givens, he's been out with a knee injury. He was a full participant. Not only are the Niners playing well, they are exceedingly healthy going into the playoffs, which is nuts considering their injury situation at the midway point. The only starters, the only week one starters they don't have are Emmanuel Mosley and Trey Lance. So, Man. so they're they're pretty pretty damn healthy going into this going into the the playoffs, like you mentioned. Obviously, losing your starting quarterback is not ideal, but the way it's worked out has certainly changed the way we talk about it. Um, I talk about like week one being weird a lot or like September, like should we really care about a loss to say Denver in week three as much as we did at the time, given how bad it, given how bad it looked, should we feel the same way about injuries? Maybe as long as they're not like season enders, because we kind of done this thing, even in 2019, like there were a lot of injuries and it kind of felt like, man, you know, this is this could potentially be really bad. And they ended up being pretty healthy in time for the postseason. That's not to say, I think, because I've railed on Ben Peterson not being awesome so at injuries, his job. Injuries are good, is your take. <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm just I, I'm 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 not all of a sudden changing my stance on Ben Peterson and, and whatever the training staff is, has done and how quickly sometimes it feels like they force guys back and how often guys have setbacks during controlled practices and stuff like that. But like, do we overreact to injuries if they're not season enders when they happen in September and October? It's just a question. Holding ourselves accountable here. No. No, I don't think so. Okay. 
because when it's like let's let's look at what the Niners are dealing with. Week two, Trey Lance goes down. Week three, they don't have Eric Armstead or Javon Kinlaw. And then they're without Armstead and Kinlaw for a whole bunch of games in the middle of the season. They lose Elijah Mitchell in week one. Week five, Emmanuel Mosley goes down. Week five, Nick Bosa also goes down with a groin injury and is going to be out for an unknown amount of time. And it wound up only being one game. But they lost, I think, I would would contend. The Falcons game got hurt. Yeah, and I would contend they lost the Falcons game because they didn't have Nick Bosa. Yeah, no doubt. I I I tend to agree with you. Other so, stuff happened, obviously, but like not having Nick Bosa was the biggest reason they lost. I am. It was the biggest reason they looked like they'd never defended his own read before. <laughs> that was so crazy. could not defend or run anywhere near the tackles. And on top of all that, they're three and three coming out of a stretch of games where it was like, man, before the year, it's like, man, they might go five and one in this stretch. Right. Yeah, that's fair. And they're three and three. So I think it's a, I think the injury situation compounded the fact that like they weren't playing well. And then you don't know the length of these injuries. You don't know, like Eric Armstead and Javon Kinlar are just kind of out. And sure. it reaches a point, especially by week seven, where you're like, man, if these guys are out, five, six more weeks, the Niners are running out of games to kind of catch up and stay in the playoff race. I think that's yeah. where the reaction is. Yeah, that's fair. I think what I think that's all fair. I think what we need to do too also is just focus on like, all right, well, it's an injury and this sucks, but it's not a season ender. And I think put seat like I, I think ultimately just we should put season ending injuries in a different bucket than this guy's gonna be out a month or whatever. You know? Yeah. Like just because there's a there's a potential of them all being available for the playoffs when they do come back. Anyway, enough about injuries. They're healthy. That's that's the point. Here. Right. Oh, so that's yeah. And that's really wild considering, like I said, where they were. I just described where they were at coming home to face the Chiefs in week seven. And like half the team was out. Yeah. Trent Williams was out for a while. I mean, it, it just, it, it looked like a mess. And there have been too many seasons, 2018, 2020, and 2019, they didn't get derailed totally, but injuries were an issue. But in 2018 and 2020, like we just saw their seasons end because of injury problems. Right. So I think I think there's a little bit of, of, maybe a bit of an overreaction, but I think it's, it's probably warranted. Okay. But they're healthy now in the playoffs. And what are the two things you want going into the postseason? to be playing well and to be as healthy as possible. And the Niners have both of those things. And I don't think that can get overlooked. 10 game winning streak is not, not a terrible place to be. I would contend it's a good place to be. <laughs> okay. I would agree. Is that fair? That's totally fair. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I, I just, I'm if, if you needed more reasons to be optimistic, the fact that they're as healthy as they are, it looks like they'll get Dre Greenlaw back. It looks like they'll get Aaron Banks back is I think just, just all the more reason to to have a lot of confidence that this team can want to run even with Brock Purdy, a quarterback. That's the other thing I wanted to talk about. I just don't, and this, we don't even need to have a discussion. I'm just going to say it. We can have a discussion. I'm not saying don't say it. But 
I don't want to lose sight of the fact that the 49ers are doing something right now with the quarterback position that will probably never be done again. Like they're just going into the playoffs on a 10 game winning streak with five of those games coming from the final pick in the draft at quarterback and as a rookie. And I just, I, it has played so well that since he came in against Miami, there's never been a moment or a stretch of moments where it's like, oh, oh, yeah, that was the last pick in the draft. Like, he does not look like that. Right. And, <laughs> and I think there's been so much focus on like, what does this mean for next year? And he's played so well that we were just kind of like, oh, can they win the Super Bowl with him? That we've lost sight of the fact that like, this is a historic thing that's happening. And it will probably never happen again. And the 262nd pick in the draft just doesn't become a good player ever. Like, that just doesn't happen, much less a quarterback. Yeah, so there, there are a few things, like... It doesn't happen. So remember when C.J. Beathard was drafted and the Niners traded up into the fourth round? Uh, to get him third round they traded up in the back end of the third round to get him and it was based it was a compensatory pick i believe that they acquired anyway um but it was like oh man that's way too early well if cj bethard happened to be brock purdy it wouldn't have mattered if it was around too early right like yeah like like you would you know you're t- you're taking a shot on a quarterback like you can never draft a quarterback too early if you think he's going to be a good player for you ultimately. And I think why this is never going to happen again, particularly if Brock Purdy wins some playoff games, if a team looks at a guy and they're like, Oh, he's, he reminds me a lot of Brock Purdy. He's not super, um, you know, he doesn't have a big arm. He's not, he's not six foot five. Like I'm just going to draft him in the fourth or fifth round. You know, like it's not going to happen again because if there's a guy that looks like Brock Purdy and plays like Brock Purdy, he's not going to be the last pick in the draft. Stetson Bennett is 25 years old. And last night as Georgia's lighting up TCU, there are articles like, is he the next Brock Purdy? Right. (laughs) Already? Right. We're already there. Right. So like, yeah, like guys like that, I think are going to start to get drafted higher. Interesting. Which is why, you know, like, like, look, if if there's a quarterback you like and it's the sixth round of the draft, you're not going to be like, no, I'd, I'd rather see if we can get him in the seventh. <laughs> Trade for the 262nd pick. Right. And try and get him there. Right. The teams will just be like, no, we saw what Brock Purdy did with the Niners. Like, let's not take our chances. Like, this is more valuable than like a practice squad, you know, safety or whatever. Right. Right. So, um, yeah, I think that's that's ultimately what's going to make this sort of an interesting thing. And. Going forward, even beyond this season, there's going to be this constant, like, I think it's almost like 50-50, and we talk a little bit about it with Ruiz coming up here, but, like, do you build around a super megastar quarterback who's making $50 million a year, or do you try to build the best roster you can and pay a lot of really good players around a guy in a rookie contract? And that's sort of, like, if you can get a... the all, all, Obviously, the best thing you can have is a star quarterback on a rookie contract. But is is this postseason, and particularly what's happening in the NFC, going to be a referendum on how general managers 
build teams going forward? Is it going to be like, man, the Niners, like they went and got Christian McCaffrey and obviously he's making a certain amount of money and they paid Debo Samuel and George Kittle's at the top of the market and Brandon Ayuk's about to get a nice contract and they have a lot of high paid guys on defense. They're about to pay Nick Bosa. Is that the better model filling out your 53 man roster with really good players and just having a quarterback and a smart coach who can put his quarterback in position to succeed. Is that an easier path to winning than trying to find a top five guy? And I, it's a fascinating question because having the top five guy, as Ruiz says, when we talk to him and I totally agree with him, like that, that changes your margin for error. Like you don't need the coach to be perfect Mm -hmm. when you have a quarterback who can sort of transcend scheme right? Which is what Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen and those types of guys do. We don't know that Brock Purdy does that at all, really. Like, we don't know if this is just a flash in the pan thing that's unsustainable, you know, beyond the small sample size that we have, or if Brock Purdy is going to be a starter in the NFL for the next 12 years. Or whether it's, or whether it's sustainable, and this is not Brock Purdy related. This is, this goes to Jimmy Garoppolo and for different reasons, it, it goes to Trey Lance, but is it sustainable if the Niners have a top 15 defense instead of a top two defense? Yeah, or a exactly. Top one defense. Right. That's, that's, and again, and again, like I said, that's not Brock Purdy. That's Jimmy Garoppolo. And that's honestly, that's how the 49ers set out to build their team. Right. That's why they picked Solomon Thomas, number three in 2017. And then Nick Bosa, number two, although that was just kind of the right pick in, in 18, but, or I'm sorry, the 19 draft, but they went to build a defense first and then plug in a quarterback that you quote unquote can win with. Cause I don't think they looked at Jimmy and said, Oh, that's a, I, I know Patrick Mahomes wasn't, wasn't a thing in 2017, but when, Oh, that's a Patrick Mahomes type of, uh, let, let's say Aaron Rodgers type of player. Who's going to elevate everything. I just, I think they went, this is a guy we can win with. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think that's probably, as much grief as we want to give Kyle Shanahan for passing on Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson, although obviously history is not reflected well on Deshaun Watson, but like we talk about Kyle Shanahan and maybe his inability to evaluate quarterbacks, but irrespective of that, the decision to focus so much of the resources and constructing this roster on defense that's been one of Kyle Shanahan's best decisions. Mm-hmm. Like the the willingness to be like, all right, well, we're paying Armstead. Uh, let's draft Nick Bosa. Let's, you know, Solomon Thomas and Ruben Foster obviously didn't work out. But I think the thinking was overall sound. Like the, you know, at, at the time there was, there were conversations about, and I'm sure they're still happening, but like, do you prioritize a pass rush or coverage? And Kyle Shanahan is always stuck with with pass rush. Mm-hmm. Um, and as an offensive coach, I think that's really interesting, right? Because he knows, he knows how to exploit defenses, but he also knows what a good defense can do against him. That gives him the most problems, mm-hmm. right? So that, that I think is ultimately like, you want to take a big picture look on what Kyle Shanahan's been successful with. Yeah. We can talk about how dumb it was to not really evaluate Patrick Mahomes because you were so intent on drafting or sorry, signing Kirk Cousins in free agency before the Jimmy right. Garoppolo trade became available. Like that's that's certainly an issue, but you can't blame Kyle Shanahan for wanting to invest resources 
in building out the defense before prioritizing the quarterback. Right. I think that's been a pretty sound thing because when you talk about sustainability and why the 49ers were able to contend in 2019 and last year, and now in all, you know, it looks like the 49ers are going to contend for a Super Bowl this year. It's because the defense has been good throughout. Yes. Yes. That's, that's, and you got to think back to 2017 too. The Niners roster was a dumpster fire. It was a disaster when Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch got here. So let's go back to that 2017 draft, Deshaun Watson and, and Patrick Mahomes. Or no, that was 2018. No, that was 17. What year am I in? 2017. 2017. Okay, so you go back to the 2017 draft. Kyle Shanahan is pretty steadfastly said there's like five to seven like elite throwers in the world. Elite quarterbacks in the world. And at that point, you talk about Patrick Mahomes, Deshaun Watson, whoever else. The Niners roster wasn't ready to take in a quarterback like that. And Kyle Shanahan, in his first year as a head coach, he's trying to build a roster. And he's going, what's the best way that I can build a winning roster? Do I take a swing and hope that I get one of those five guys that exist in the universe? Or do I try to build a defense and have a three or four year plan and plug in a quarterback that I know I can win with that, that like that makes sense. And in hindsight, I guarantee you give Kyle Shanahan a redo of 2017. He's taking Patrick Mahomes. Right. Like that's just, that's happening. He doesn't not want Patrick Mahomes on his team. But when you look at that, if they draft Patrick Mahomes, number two, like let's just say or any quarterback, Number which two. would have been which would have been considered a massive reach at that point. Yes. Like it was a surprise that Mahomes went in the middle of the first round. I remember writing be like he you know everything I read on the internet was like second round quarterback maybe a background of back end of the first round guy. Right. Right. You wrote on Niners wire that they should draft this guy in the second round. Yeah. But if that doesn't work, Kyle Shanahan is screwed. <laughs> right. And he's he's out, and and I said Patrick Mahomes, but pick a quarterback at that spot, and it doesn't work. They're 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 screwed. Well, it, everything ended up working out, but I I'm trying to get into his mindset at that time, and I think that's why this roster looks the way it does because they built it this way on purpose because you can win with a Brock Purdy. Yeah, and what's interesting about it too is like you could even go take the conversation all the way back to 2005 and the decision to take Alex Smith over Aaron Rodgers, Right. And a lot of people will tell you, yeah, a lot of people will tell you like, Oh, Aaron Rodgers wouldn't have succeeded in that environment anyway, because the environment was so bad. It transcended whatever quarterback you had. I do think there is validity to it. Like, was the Niners roster they they basically turned over what 75% of the roster from the 2 and 14 ship Kelly team like was the roster so yeah. bad that Patrick Mahomes comes in here and then the Niners like it just ruins him from a developmental standpoint whereas <laughs> yeah no i i'm i'm just i'm not i'm not saying i necessarily agree with the thinking but like Hey, you, you can make the case that he went to, in terms of going to Kansas City, going to a team that was already a playoff team, a good roster, a really good coach in Andy Reid, 
not having to play in year one, allowing him to sit because frankly, the thing with Patrick Mahomes, the reason why people were dubious about him as a draft prospect were like, they just hadn't seen him play NFL style quarterback. It was all like, it was all off script and it was all uh, second reaction plays. And it wasn't a system that's conducive to the NFL, um, which is funny because his coach was Cliff Kingsbury. <laughs> um, <laughs> but so that, that was really the knock on Mahomes. It wasn't like, oh, this guy doesn't have the arm talent or he can't make the throws. Obviously he could, but it was, we haven't seen him play NFL quarterback. Right. Um, so there, that was the question. So like, if you're Kyle Shanahan, you're like, do I want to risk drafting a quarterback, having him play for a bad team, and then having him develop bad habits and or have his confidence shot by really struggling to adapt in the NFL where he has to play right away? Or should I just build out the defense, create a better atmosphere for a quarterback to step into whenever I get that quarterback? And that's right. sort of what we've seen. That's in the, to tie it to Brock Purdy, that's a major reason why Brock Purdy's thrived, right? Like he's yeah. stepping into a situation that is just kind of plug and play. Like the race car is built. You know, the F1 car right. is like the tires are awesome. The the suspension's amazing. The aerodynamics, Ferrari. perfect. Like all you got to do is just sit sit back there and drive. You don't got to worry about anything else. And that's mm-hmm. why ultimately a big reason why I think Brock Purdy is being so successful. I think the, I think the biggest thing that would have hindered Patrick Mahomes is Kyle Shanahan. I think he would have, <laughs> I think he would have tamped down on that creativity stuff so fast. Cause Patrick Mahomes early in his career, dude, Patrick Mahomes bailed from the pocket a lot. Like he bailed from a lot of clean pockets and I think Shanahan would have been not having it. <laughs> Yeah, I it's it's tough. It's I I have no idea. Kyle Shanahan would have turned Patrick Mahomes into Jimmy Garoppolo. Change my mind. <laughs> um, yeah. Let's get to know. Ruiz. All right, let's get to Ruiz. Great conversation upcoming. Check it out. All right, Stephen Ruiz is here. Stephen, thanks so much for hopping on. And one of the things that I'm always fascinated by, you watch everything. You see everything. What's your? I want to start here. I have a ton of questions for you, but what's your watching schedule like? Do you lock into one game on a Sunday and then watch everything else later, or are you the multi-screen? What's your viewing experience like, and how do you fit like every game into your schedule? It's it's evolved throughout the years, but uh, so over the last few years, I've settled on like I have like the quad box going on my TV but I have the audio on for one game and I'm using, that's the game that I'm usually focused in on. And like when it's on commercial, I can like look at the other games, but usually it's like condensed games on game pass after they, they end on Sunday night to prepare for the pod. And then when the film starts to come out, which is usually like Monday morning uh, for the quarterback rankings, I watch like all the quarterback dropbacks. I'm not like watching the offense, like the run plays and stuff like that. But yeah. So from like Monday morning to like Wednesday, I'm usually just watching all 22 so it's rough from sunday to wednesday i don't have much of a life and my wife hates me but other than that (laughs) yeah it's worth it have you watched brock purdy at all because you have him ranked 34th which leads me to believe that maybe you you haven't been locked into the niners (laughs) i have watched him i have watched him (laughs) uh 
I, I, I have a, what's the opposite of a soft spot. I have a, a hard, a hard spot, spot? For, for, for play action quarterbacks <laughs> in, the, in this particular type of offense where maybe yeah. unfairly I hold them to a higher standard because I think most of their production is fake. That I think Brock Purdy is a lot better than I thought he would be when I heard he was going to start. I, I think he's, his arm is a little bit better than I thought it was. I, I didn't realize he was going to be as good at creating as he has been. I I, I know he, that was part of his game at Iowa State, but it's you know it's tough for that transition against better athletes. But I still have a lot of question marks about how he processes things, the things he's gotten away with so far. He hasn't really been burned with with some of the mistakes he's made. And I want to see what happens when the Shanahan offense. Uh, I don't want to say it breaks down because I don't think it's so good that we you can rely on it, but I want to see what happens when he gets in a negative game script and defenses start to pin their ears back and start to throw some looks at him that he's that he hasn't seen before. And I think in the playoffs against better teams, against like the Eagles and and when if they make it to the Super Bowl, the Chiefs and the Bengals and those types of teams, I think he'll have a chance to prove me wrong or, or make me update my priors on him. So in terms of, you know, we have, I guess, five starts, a six-game sample size, really, with Brock. Um, as somebody who evaluates quarterback play, and you do a great job with your with your quarterback rankings for the ringer, everybody should go check those out. But, um, and, and this might be a question just sort of more broadly about the Shanahan-style offense that's that's been popularized throughout the league, but when you try to divorce the quarterback play from the system – how do you look at Brock Purdy in that way? Like, is he just doing a really good job of doing what Kyle Shanahan's telling him? Are there times where he's able to maybe do a little bit more off script than you would expect? Or is this just something where it's like, you know, this is, this isn't sustainable or is it sustainable? Like how, how do you view this sort of long-term if you were to spin it forward based on the small sample size we have? Yeah, the, the question of sustainability is like always so hard to answer because it's not like is is Brock Purdy playing at this individual level sustainable? Yes, I re- I really think it is. The question is, can the 49ers sustain this infrastructure that almost makes it it's almost too good to fail? Can they sustain that? And I think the question of that is probably no. It's hard. I know they've they've had injuries and they've overcome those injuries, but it's not often where you can pick up a guy like Christian McCaffrey. And I, I know you can get into conversations about positional value with him, but obviously he has made Brock Purdy's job so much easier. Just having a guy that they could just run an option route and literally all Brock Purdy has to do is just watch him and wait for him to get open. And he does every time, but I would, yeah, I want to know what happens when the, when things work against the 49ers, when they're not in a positive game script, when they need to come back or when, Defenses are able to take away the early down stuff. Uh, that's the question of sustainability in terms of his long-term outlook. But so far, I think what he's proven is that he he is capable of clearing that bar. Maybe we'll call it the Nick Mullins bar, where like C.J. Beathard is under it and Nick Mullins is right on the line. But if you're above that, you can get a top five offense or a top ten offense out of, out of a quarterback that good. And I think the very least he's proven that. And then when you start to consider like how much money he costs, which is basically nothing at all, then I think questions of his long-term value, at least like for the next four years, that's when things start to get interesting. And I think that's when you can make the argument that it's worth keeping him around, even if it might make things awkward for the quarterback that you gave up three first round picks for. It feels like the Niners right now, and I want to put a pin in Trey Lance because I do want to ask about him a little bit later, but it feels like the Niners offense right now is moving it 
more efficiently than it was with Jimmy Garoppolo. And Jimmy Garoppolo is actually playing pretty well when he got hurt. But it looks now like the offense, I don't want to say, I don't want to say it's moving more efficiently, but it felt like watching Jimmy, everything was like pushing a boulder up a hill. It's like, man, everything looks so hard. And with Purdy, it looks so much easier. Is there a reason for that? I think there's just like a fluidity to his game that Jimmy Garoppolo just doesn't have. And I don't think he's ever going to have it just because that's not the type of quarterback he is. And I I do want to give Jimmy some credit because I thought he showed a little more playmaking instinct this Mm -hmm. year before he got hurt. Like he was extending plays a little bit more. He made some throws on the move. He made that. I forget what the game was, but he made that throw to Christian McCaffrey down the sideline. I think it was on the move. He made he's made plays, but Purdy, it just seems more natural. Like he he did that didn't need to be beaten into him. It, you right. didn't have to adjust. With Purdy, it kind of comes natural. Now, there are drawbacks, and I don't think we've seen those drawbacks yet, and I think we're more likely to see them in a playoff scenario. Like when, when Jimmy – Jimmy was an ideal regular season quarterback. The problem is when you get into situations when quarterbacks have to make a play more often than, than not, he, he not only failed to make a play, usually he'd make the worst play possible. And I think that's the question with Purdy is, does this playmaking ability – translate to bigger games against better teams with higher stakes or will the moment or the pressure or not even like the pressure in terms of like oh there are a bunch of people watching it's the super bowl it's a big game the pressure that defenses put on you and i think playoff defenses are able to put more of that pressure on you than say playing the arizona in week 18 so one one of the ideas that I've sort of kicked around throughout the regular season, and and this is probably much more of an NFC conversation than AFC, but you know there there aren't really like the elite MVP candidate type quarterbacks in the NFC this year, um, and you know we've seen teams like the the Forty ers and the Eagles um, and others, you know, put together twelve win, thirteen win seasons without like truly elite quarterback play. Um, do you think that's a trend that's really only going to stick in the regular season? Like, uh, are teams with these good rosters, these good defenses, um, these really balanced rosters, like, is that a model that can succeed in the postseason? Or are we going to start to see the quarterback play differentiate itself when it comes to, you know, the better guys are going to step up? And, and ultimately, we're going to come back to the idea that really quarterback play is the most important thing in the NFC playoffs. Yeah, I think so. But there's always a chance, like even the 49 using them as an example in 2019, they were one missed throw away from winning that Super Bowl, And that changes the narrative about everything. It probably changes how we, we look at the quarterback position in the NFL. But what I think having one of these quarterbacks, one of these elite guys that can lean on in, in these situations, I think they give you a bigger margin for error. The coach doesn't have to be so perfect. He doesn't have to have a great game plan. Maybe you loot, maybe you get out game plan and it still doesn't matter. We've seen Patrick Mahomes win those games. We've seen Josh Allen win those games. We've never really seen like one of these play action quarterbacks, these system quarterbacks, so to speak, really do that. I mean, even like the the closest comparison I can think of is Joe Flacco going on that one playoff run. And even he was a different style of quarterback. He he has the big arm, he has the physical talent. So uh, it's possible like the 49ers are so good so deep like you said in the nfc it's not like you're dealing like tom brady's there but he doesn't have the 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 supporting cast with him Dak prescott is probably the best quarterback in the nfc and even he's been shaky of late and the cowboys are always shaky in the playoffs with mike mccarthy at the helm 
So this could be the year where that narrative starts to turn. I don't know if I would fully buy into it, even if the 49ers win it, but I, I think if any team has a chance of overcoming that obstacle, it's this 49ers team. So you're a big Geno Smith guy, which yeah. I didn't know existed until this year when I started listening to you on podcasts. Um, his numbers haven't been as good in the second half. Uh, is there a reason for that? Is he regressing? Are the Seahawks regressing? Uh, is that a fluke? What What have you seen from Geno in the first and second half? I think you saw it in that last 49ers Seahawks game, the Thursday night game. There, it, it hasn't so much been Geno regressing. I think Geno, I think his numbers flattered his performance in the first half of the season, but I think the opposite is true this this part of the season. I think it's not reflecting how well he's playing. I think the true answer is somewhere in the middle. He's not like a top five quarterback. He's not whatever he's ranking right now, like bottom 15. He's probably like in that 10 to 15 range. And for me, the reason why the offense has kind of fallen off in the passing game is the offensive line. They've had these two rookie tackles. Charles Cross and Abe Lucas, who really started off well. But it seems like they've either hit a wall or maybe Shane Waldron, the offensive coordinator, isn't doing as good of a job of protecting them. Or maybe he has more confidence in them and their their job, their assignment has gotten harder. But in that, that second 49ers game, you saw how effective that 49ers rush was. They could not block the 49ers. Anytime they try to do any drop-back passing concept, one of those linemen were in Geno's lap within seconds. And you saw Gino have to throw the ball a little bit earlier. And then when he started throwing the ball earlier, that's when you saw him start to throw it into coverage. Mm -hmm. I don't know if the 49ers caught any of those interceptions, but I know he almost threw like two or three that night. Yeah. And I, I think that's what it is. Like your environment changes, the degree of uh, difficulty becomes harder and you start to press and you start to have to take chances that you didn't have to take when, when your offense was providing you with a, a better environment. So I think that's what's happened with Gino. Things around him have gotten worse while I, I really think he's been one of the more consistent quarterbacks in terms of his own individual performance. And I, I, I really don't think there's much difference between the second half of the film and the first half of the film. You mentioned with, with Purdy, like playoff defenses and, and that extra pressure that comes with a playoff defense. Do you think that Geno Smith will face some of those same issues? Oh yeah. Like it doesn't matter if you're, when you're playing the 49ers, like every game feels like a playoff. Sure. Game. Like <laughs> sure. that's that intensity from that defense that we saw in that Thursday night game is what he's going to be dealing with on Saturday. And right. I don't know how you answer it. Like there's no remedy for a defensive line that can pressure you in under two seconds. There just isn't. And the Seahawks don't have the offensive line. I don't think they have the run game to, <sighs> To replicate what we've seen out of some offenses, like the past two weeks, we saw Jared Stidham put up good numbers against the 49ers. We saw the Cardinals get off to a fast start. And the way that those two teams got off to those fast starts was by kind of exploiting the 49ers' aggressiveness and how fast they are and how they how they attack downhill and using like misdirection plays. One, I think these last two weeks are going to give D'Amico Ryan something to work on. And I think he's going to guard against that. So I don't know how effective that strategy is going to be going forward Two, the Seahawks don't have the offensive line to hold up with that style of play. And we've seen that in both of the games that they played. So as much as I want this Geno resurgence to continue, I, I really don't, this is the biggest mismatch for me on paper. And I think it's the biggest line of the week. And I wouldn't be surprised if the game's like over by halftime. Man. So, 
how, how do you view Kyle Shanahan's postseason resume? Because uh, and a, a funny thing happens to, I think, some of the better coaches in the league. And I think this happened to Andy Reid before he won a Super Bowl. Like guys, coaches with like warts, whether it's Andy Reid and clock management or whatever, that's always like a thing we always harp on. And Kyle Shanahan's thing is, well, he his offenses fall apart late in big games. And yeah, that's happened. But the other side of that coin is, well, he got to those big games, right? So um, obviously Kyle Shanahan needs to win a Super Bowl in order to reach that next level of coaches. But just in terms of his postseason resume, like how do you view it? Um, where do you think he stacks up against, you know, some of the other coaches that are still alive in the playoffs? Um, and, and where do you think he can get to ultimately if, if he does get a Brock Purdy led team to the Super Bowl? Yeah, it's, it's funny. Like the, the coaches that tend to have those, those issues are the ones that call plays and the ones that are known as these play calling geniuses, because they're so focused on that aspect of the game. I could understand why they're lacking in these other areas, but for me, I think it's a little overblown. I think it's just a small sample size and you have these two high profile fa- failures, which I think were the the issues were different, totally different in the two Super Bowls. The Falcons Super Bowl, the defense really just got tired and they caught some bad breaks on offense. The, the 49ers Super Bowl, I, I put that on Jimmy G more than I put it on Kyle. I think Jimmy missed <laughs> a handful of throws and Kyle dialed up some good play calls, some smart play calls that would have ended the game and Jimmy couldn't execute them. But I mean, I for me, he's the biggest asset in terms of like a non-player, non-quarterback. He's the biggest asset any team has. He, we've seen what he's done with Brock Purdy. We've seen what he's done with, with other lesser quarterbacks. If in terms of game planning, there isn't an offensive coach I'd rather have. I, I even in those losses, I, I wouldn't make the argument that he was out game plan. I just think the way the game broke at the end of the in the fourth quarter just kind of went against him. But the game plans initially were smart in both cases he was scoring all over the Patriots they were moving the ball against the Chiefs uh yeah I wouldn't be concerned about it at all I mean I'm like the time management and the fourth down decisions those they're worth worrying about when they come up but everything else in terms of coaching I think he's he's fine so much focus gets put on the deep throw to Emmanuel Sanders that Jimmy missed but Chris Jones knocked down a throw it was like second and 10 after the Chiefs made it a 10-point game and Chris Jones knocked it down, and it was George Kittle running against Terrell Suggs just like yeah. by himself. And that was the one for me, man. That was brutal. Um, you said something on the Rare NFL show the other day that I thought was fascinating, and I'm excited to get to ask you about it. You said there's like eight quarterbacks you would take before Kyle Shanahan. Can you explain mm-hmm. that? Yeah, because I think it's what we were talking about earlier about the Brock Purdy sustainability question like maintaining this environment where he could produce like a top 10 quarterback. And I, I don't think the list of quarterbacks who don't need that is very long. I would, I would put it at eight probably like if you're not including the old guys like Aaron Rodgers and, and Tom Brady, I, it would be Patrick Mahomes, Herbert, Allen, Burrow, Jackson. I probably put Trevor on there now. I think I'm comfortable putting on And then like it starts to get murky around Dak Prescott. I think Dak Prescott is the line for me, but like a Jalen hurts. I, I I'm sorry. I haven't seen enough to, to think or to feel confident in him still being a productive top 10 quarterback. If you put him on say green Bay's team right now, if you give him that receiving core and an offensive line, that's good, but not like great, like the Eagles and not, and maybe not the best run game. I think, 
that's where I draw the line. But with Kyle, like, it doesn't matter the pieces you have. Like, you could have a suspect offensive line. You could have, obviously, the 49ers are stacked with talent. But we've seen in the past when they didn't have receivers, the offense was still well-designed and, and producing open receivers. So I think Kyle kind of creates that environment on his own. And he's the only coach. Maybe Andy Reid's like that, but we haven't seen Andy Reid have to coach without Patrick Mahomes in a long time. So <laughs> who knows? But he's the only coach that I could think of that is capable of creating that environment for any quarterback you give him. So I, I, one conversation I think a lot of 49ers fans have, and, and we've obviously addressed it on this podcast, is what the future looks like at at quarterback. And for us, like we're not we're not super focused on it right now because the whole point of the quarterback discussion is to get a quarterback to to, to get to the playoffs, which is where the 49ers are. So we're trying to focus on that at the moment. But beyond this season, the Trey Lance thing is fascinating because they did invest so much in him. Um, I don't think Kyle Shanahan is going to give is going to bolster Trey Lance's chances at starting next year or anytime in the in the future because the 49ers invested what they did. I think he kind of just looks at that independently of of the real-time evaluation of his quarterback. But in terms of what you've seen from Trey Lance in a super limited sample size and all the work you did on him leading up to that draft a couple of years ago, where are you at with him? And if you're running the 49ers, how, how would you sort of evaluate the quarterback situation after this season? Uh, I still haven't lost the faith I had in him before the draft. Like he, he hasn't really been given a chance to lose that faith. The injury was unfortunate, but with him, I feel like the bar for being able to operate in this offense is just being comfortable in the pocket and being willing to go through your progressions. And I think that he has put that on tape in college. He put it on tape in North Dakota's offense. And I think when he's been, it's been more inconsistent, but I think we've seen him willing to go from one to two to three in his progression. And then you start into, you start to add in all the talent stuff. And that's why I think that the 49ers can't afford to give up on him anytime soon. I think they have to give him every chance to succeed because he is the one guy that is capable, like the one guy on the roster right now that is capable of being a, a quarterback that doesn't need Kyle Shanahan to be a, a great player. And we already know what Kyle Shanahan looks like when you give him that type of talent at the quarterback position. We saw what happened in Atlanta. We saw what happened in Washington when he had RG3, who was, who I think was a far worse quarterback than Trey Lance has been so far throughout his career. Oh. Like RG3 was just an athlete. He, he wasn't going through – he was a one-read quarterback. He didn't go through his progressions. The big reason why he clashed with that that coaching staff was because he couldn't read out a basic play. That's not a worry with Trey Lance. That is not the worry. The worry for me, the only worry is accuracy and being able to change speeds. And once he gets that down, and maybe that's something that can't be fixed, but we saw it fixed with Josh Allen. He has every other tool that you could possibly want, and you add – you throw that into a Kyle Shanahan offense, which I think is going to evolve the more he gets to – use Trey Lance as a runner, I mean, that could be one of the best offenses of all time. And that's – you can't say that about any other player on this team. Now, for right now, like next year, if you're trying to maximize whatever window you have and trying to win next year, that's when the, the question gets a little tougher to, to answer. But I'm not banking on Brock Purdy if I'm just going in on a one-year window. I'm not even banking on Jimmy G, given his injury history and what we've seen him do in big spots. It would have to be like a Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers type move for me to give up on Trey Lance or even to think about not penciling him in as the number one starter next year. All right, let's get you out of here. 
It's fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, let's let's get you out of here on this. Are the 49ers going to go to the Super Bowl? I want to ask you if they're going to win it. Just are they going to go? Yeah, they're going to go. <laughs> the only team I'm worried about. Yeah, no, without a doubt. Like, yeah, I'm 90% <laughs> sure. The only team I'm worried about is the Cowboys. And the Cowboys, I don't know if you guys know this, Mike McCarthy is their coach. So I think <laughs> yeah, that will take care true. of itself. Uh, I picked them at midseason to go to, and this was before they could, like, it was clear that they had turned things around. Like, I picked them to win the NFC back then. And I'm not changing my pick now. So what what makes you like them more than the Eagles? I think they have more uh, more buttons to push on offense. I think if you can make the Eagles one dimensional and you have you have the corners to hang up in in one on one coverage against those two receivers against Brown and Smith. Not saying the 49ers do, but I think they they do it by committee and with scheme and with that defense, they're able they would be able to do that. I, I think that they are less scary. And we've seen them have questionable games against like the Colts and the Bears. Like those teams were able to do that. And their defenses, those defenses are like worse, way worse versions of the 49ers defense. So I think the 49ers defense matches up really well with them. And then offensively, Kyle Shanahan against that defensive coordinator, who's just like, a, I don't know how to put this best, but it, it's like a static style of defense. They will play, they will stay in the same. It's not a moving target. Like Kyle is going to know how to get the guys he wants in the positions he wants, and he's going to be able to attack them. So I just think that's a horrible matchup for them on paper. And like I said, I'm not worried about any of the other NFC teams, like the Cowboys, for one word, just because they have the talent. But other than that, the 49ers are just too good. Fascinating. The three and four teams when we're talking about them like that. That's so wild. Uh, Steven, thank you so much for, for hopping on, man. This is great. Thanks for having me. Thanks a lot, man. We'll talk to you soon. Everybody check out Steven's work at The Ringer, the QB rankings, The Ringer NFL show. It's all great stuff. Thanks a lot for joining us, man. When you make decisions for your company, you always look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing and shipping to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your process to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, books, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart if you sell online, schedule package pickups through the dashboard, and automatically see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers, with rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are, even on the go. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other business decision makers with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.